0: closer to Valentine's Day, it makes us ask the question, how'd this whole Valentine's Day thing get started? Well, St. Valentine was a young man actually named Valentinius. And Valentinius lived in Rome during a time when Christians were being persecuted. Now, Valentinius was not a Christian, but he helped Christians until such time as he got caught. He got caught and he got thrown into prison and it was in prison that Valentinius became a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. And because of his belief, Valentinius was condemned to death. He was beaten with clubs, he was stoned, and finally he was beheaded on February the 14th, 269 A.D. But it was only after his death that the many messages to his friends were discovered. And all of those messages ended the same way. Remember your valentine, and I love you. Today, the Apostle Paul opens our eyes once again to the depths of God's love to those who have chosen to place their faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. That being the case, if you would turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, that's on page 1005 in the Bibles in front of you, if you'd like to use those. In Romans chapter 8, we discover the depths of God's love for His own. In verse 31, Paul writes, "...what then shall we say to these things?" It is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen, who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or the sword? As it is written, For your sake we are killed all day long. We are counted a sheep for the slaughter. Yet in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for loving us. Even when we were wretched, even when we were rebellious, even when we were defiant, thank you for loving us with such a faithful, incredible love. In Jesus' name we ask it. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Friend, how would you like to be loved? How would you like to be loved by somebody no matter what? No matter what, how would you like to be loved by someone? How would you like to know that no matter how you looked, and some of you look a little funny this morning, amen? (laughs) But no matter how you look, no matter what you've done, no matter where you're from, how would you like to know that you can be loved unconditionally? Today... You can leave this building knowing the joy of being unconditionally loved by our creator God. You see, the world tells us that we can only be loved if we're smart enough. The world tries to tell us that we can only be loved if we're attractive enough. And some of you are very attractive, amen? Say, I'm looking good. You are looking good. All of you but Kevin. Amen. Praise God. The world tells us also that we can only be loved if we're wealthy enough. But I want you to know on the authority of the Word of God this morning that God loves you right now, right where you are, right the way you look, and right what you're doing today. God loves you. Today, we're going to find seven questions and answers that reinforce the believer's awareness that God's everlasting, far-reaching, wide-ranging, all-embracing, upright, downright, inright, outright, matchless, flawless, faultless, and timeless love exists for you. Friend, once you understand these questions and the answers that we'll find, your life should never be the same it should never be the same because maybe for the first time in your life you'll no longer wonder does God really love me our first question since God loves me who can oppose me verse 31 what then shall we say to these things if God is for us, who can be against us? When Paul considers all the things that God has done, namely by sending Jesus to die for our sins, Paul is speechless. Now you've got to know Paul. Paul was a talkaholic like your pastor. Amen? He loved to talk. He loved to preach. He loved to share the gospel. He loved to talk. Paul speechless and he asks, what then shall we say to these things? See, although it defies logical thinking, although it challenges rational ideas, although it surpasses our understanding, the bottom line is, my friend, God is for us, and we need to understand that. But what things is Paul talking about when he said, what shall we say to these things? Well, these things... Are basically the purpose, purposes of God that are outlined and laid out for us in verse 28 through 30. I want to share those verses with you. Verse 28, <coughs> excuse me. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Now, these things should lead us to believe that, or lead us to understand that sometimes it doesn't seem like God loves us. Sometimes it doesn't seem like we're showered in the love of God. When we suffer heartbreak in the breaking up of relationships. When we suffer with uh, tragedy in our lives, sickness in our lives. When we fail God miserably. When we become frustrated. When we're grieving over the loss of a loved one. We wonder, does God really love me? We wonder, how on earth can any good possibly come out of what I'm going through? How is it possible? Well, verse 29 and 30 gives us a good answer. It reminds us of this, and you need to know this this morning, that whatever God permits to come into your life, whatever it is, It's designed to conform you somehow, some way into the likeness of his son. The fact that ungodly sinners like us should one day be transformed into the image of Christ Jesus truly is an astounding display of God's love for his people. Not only are we foreknown, predestined, conformed, the Bible says that we're also called. That means that not only have we heard the gospel, but we responded to it too. There's a big difference, amen? Amen? And when we respond to the gospel, the Bible says that we are justified. That is, we're made right with God. We're put into a right standing with God. And when we become justified, God promises that one day we're going to be glorified in heaven. So because I'm foreknown, I'm predestined, I'm called and justified and glorified by God, the creator of the whole universe, friend, no weapon against me can prosper. No weapon whatsoever. I read this quote by a gentleman, a theologian named Alan Redpath, and I've never forgotten it. And if you're going through a struggle today, if you're rebounding off of tragedy in your life, I want you to be reminded of what Alan said one day. He said, there is no circumstance, there is no trouble, there is no testing that can ever touch you until, first of all, it's gone past God, gone past Christ, right through you, And if it has come that far, it has come with great purpose, which you may not understand right now, but refuse to become panicky, refuse to become panicky as you lift your eyes up to him and accept whatever it is as coming from the throne of God for some great purpose of blessing in your life. But when we're going through the throes of tragedy and heartbreak, it's difficult to understand these things. But we need to know that our lives are not controlled by chance. Our life is not controlled by luck. Our lives are not controlled by fate. Our lives are controlled by a wonderful God who is too loving to be unkind and too wise to make any mistakes. He's God. His love at the cross has proven to each and every one of us that God is for us, not against us. No one can oppose me because God Almighty loves me. Amen. And since it is God who loves me, the Bible says in verse 32, who can withhold from me? Verse 32 says, He who did not spare His own Son, but delivered Him up for us all, how shall He not with Him freely give us all things? Friends, I pray that we never become so familiar with the fact that God did not spare His Son for us that we begin to take it for granted. When a world of ungodly sinners needed to be saved by a sinless substitute, the great God of the universe did not hold back his heart's most prized treasure. Instead, he gave him up for us all. That being the case, my friends, being that God has already given us the greatest gift ever, is there any lesser gift He wouldn't give? Since God has already paid the highest price, is there any lesser price He wouldn't pay? Since God has taken care of every eternal need we have, will he ignore our earthly needs? Since God has gone so far, y'all, to save us, do you think he'll ever let us go? You see, the language of unbelief is how shall he? How shall he do that? But the language of faith is how shall he not? How shall he not do that since he loves me the way he does? Nothing will be withheld because the giver of every good thing loves me. Amen? And since it's God who loves me, who can accuse me? Verse 33. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. These next two verses use a lot of courtroom words. And he's trying to establish the love of God for us, for his people. And in the courtroom, of course, we always have a defendant Who do you think the defendant in this courtroom is? It's me and you. Amen. We're the defendant. But there's also an accuser. Who do you think the accuser is? It's the devil. It's Satan. There's also a judge in the courtroom. Who's the judge? God. So when this defendant, who has been made right with God through Christ... Stands before the judge. The judge calls out and says, Are there any accusers out there? Are there any that can bring an accusation? If you're an accuser of this defendant, step forward. But guess how many there are? None. There are none. How could there be since God, the righteous judge, is the one that made us right? He's the one that made us right. Who can bring a charge against us? It helps us understand a little bit better if we use the phrase, no one because. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? No one because it's God who justifies. Amen. Now there are two things we need to grasp about this concept. One is, once God accepts you, it don't matter what anybody else thinks. Are you hearing me, church? It don't matter what anybody else thinks if God accepts you. What other opinion matters? When you're accepted and loved by the creator of the universe himself, it doesn't matter what anybody else says. The second thing we need to understand is, yes, there is an enemy. His name is Satan and yes, He strives to accuse you day and night. But I got good news for you. I've read the back of the book. And in Revelation chapter 12, in verse 10, I want to share it with you. John says, Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down. That's good news for me and you. Amen. Satan is our accuser, but our accuser is defeated. What he thinks no longer matters. It doesn't matter what that accuser says because he is cast down. He is cast down. No one can accuse me because the only one that matters loves me and since it is God who loves me who can condemn me verse 34 who is he who condemns it is Christ who died and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God who also makes intercession for us so another courtroom challenge rings out And the judge says, and the the, the challenge is, who here can condemn this defendant? Again, if we plug in that phrase, no one, because, it might read like this. Is there anyone here who can condemn this defendant? And you would have to say, no one, because Christ has died for this defendant, He's also been risen from the dead for this defendant, and now he sits at the right hand of God making intercession for this defendant. Now, there are three reasons that a born-again, believing Christian can never be condemned. It's right here in this this verse. Number one, Jesus died for him. Jesus died for him. When we are his, we cannot be condemned because God sees us through the Son as being perfect. Jesus died for us. Number two, he is also raised for us. How many of you know that if Jesus would have stayed dead in the grave, he would have been no use to you and I? Staying dead gives us no hope, but he was raised from that grave, defeating death once and for all. But number three, not only did he die for us, not only was he raised for us, But the Bible says that Jesus intercedes for us. He doesn't sit next to the Father twiddling his thumbs. He's busy. He's interceding for us, speaking to God for us. When you are being accused, Jesus stands before the Father and says, "Uh Uh-uh, Father, this one belongs to me. I've declared this one to be innocent of all charges because of his faith. No one can condemn me because it's God who loves me and Jesus who died for me. But since it's God who loves me, who can separate me? Look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? One more challenge rings out in the courtroom. Is there anyone here who can remove this defendant from the love of Christ? And a search begins. A search begins through every conceivable bad circumstance that causes human lives to be separated. But none can be found. Not one single element of life points to the end of God's love for his own. Does it mean that God no longer loves us If we go through trouble? Everybody shake your head like that. Does it mean that God no longer loves you If you're going through hardship? Does it mean that God no longer loves you If you're being persecuted? Does it mean God no longer loves you If you're hungry? Does it mean God no longer loves you If you find yourself cold or in danger or perhaps even threatened by death, no. Not one of those seven enemies have the power to separate someone from the love that's found in Jesus Christ. However, they do have power. They do have great power to draw someone in a closer relationship with Jesus Christ. How many of you have the testimony like your pastor that he's gone through some hard trouble and ultimately all it did was bring me closer to God? How many of you have gone through hardship in your life, but when it was all said and done, all that happened was you found yourself closer to Jesus? How many of you, friend, have been persecuted or hungry, cold or in danger, maybe even threatened by death? But when all that passed, All that happened was that you were closer to Jesus. You see, nothing happens to me that can separate me from a God who loves me. Nothing. And since it is God who loves me, who can conquer me? Let's look in verse 37. Yet all these things, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now, before you say, Brother Bill, I really don't feel like more than a conqueror. Life has beaten me up pretty good. I found myself blowing it regularly. Often I find myself off the course and in the ditch. I find myself sinning and rebelling and defying God's command. But I want you to understand something this morning. Being more than a conqueror is not only triumphing over dreadful circumstances. It's bringing glory to God while you're doing it. Y'all hear that? Being more than a conqueror is not only overcoming trials, it's blessing others in the process. Y'all hear that? Being more than a conqueror doesn't mean you're just making it through. It also means that you're making a slave out of your enemy. And you're taking all those rocks from your roadblocks and you're making them into stepping stones. And all this is only available through Him who loves us. Only the power of Christ, friend can bring sweetness from bitterness. Only the power of Christ can bring strength from weakness. Only the power of Christ can bring triumph out of tragedy. Only the power of Christ can bring blessing out of heartbreak. You see, since it's God who loves me, I'm more than a conqueror. And finally, Since it's God who loves me, who can dissuade me? Verse 37, excuse me, verse 38. Paul says, for I am persuaded. I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Finally, the Apostle Paul takes the universe, and he turns it upside down, and he goes to shaking it, tries to see what's going to fall out if he turns it upside down, and he's searching for something that might conceivably separate him from the love of God. He searches, and he searches, but he only discovers there is nothing that changes the eternal purposes of God. He searches and he searches, but he finds that nothing can stop the divine love of Jesus Christ. Now, God never said that we wouldn't have pain. And God never said that we wouldn't experience death. But he did promise that nothing would separate us from his love not even pain, and not even death. Friend, that same love that lifted you up from the miry clay of your sin is the same love that's going to escort you into the glory of heaven one day. It's something great to look forward to. So today, these verses make it abundantly clear that God loves you no matter what. And if you belong to him, that will never, ever change. Never. So I want to encourage you today not to let the guilt of your past or maybe even the guilt of your present keep you from God. You see, that's what people do. They fail to realize that God loves us and wants to forgive us. The only question that remains is, are you willing to forgive yourself? The Apostle Paul was convinced. Convinced that God loves you. Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Are you convinced? Are you fully persuaded that you have never lived a loveless day? Not one? You know those times that you deserted Jesus? He still loved you. Those times that you defied him? Him? loves you. Those times that you rebelled against God, He loves you. And even those times when you hid yourself from, from Jesus, He loves you. He loves you. He loves you with an everlasting love. And this Valentine's Day, Here's what he wants from you. He wants you to be his Valentine. God thank you for loving us like you do thank you for never letting us go no matter what we've done or are doing Lord thank you for loving us with an everlasting love and Lord thank you when we try to come up with a question that would dismiss your love for us the truth of your word reigned true and your love found a lodging place in our heart Father if there's someone here today that is ready to make themselves yours help them to understand that you've already paid the price they just need to give themselves to you to yield up all that is about self to crucify self and to continue living a life in the flesh by faith in He who loves us and gave Himself for us. Lord, whatever decision needs to be made here this morning, I pray you would encourage the heart and soul and you would lead us to make a decision that would honor you. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said,
1: Amen. Let's all stand and sing.